Um, today we're going to look and explore how a good Sunday can really help improve your entire family. Don't you guys want that for your family? Absolutely. So last week we learned from the Old Testament prophet, listen carefully, this is what we went through last week. It said, if you call the Sabbath a delight, the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. Okay, that was Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. And we discussed how we have to really make that our own. We have to decide to make the Sabbath a delight. And in doing so, if we do practice, if we observe and remember, observe and remember, you're going to find that to be true, and it will become a delight. So Isaiah wrote those words almost 3,000 years ago, and God's promises are still true today. Do you understand that? Now, when it comes to the scriptures, some of you guys might be like, well, that was specifically to Israel. The Sabbath was made for Israel. I absolutely agree with that. And there are many promises that are just for Israel themselves, okay? But there are promises that God has given that I believe we as Gentiles too, if we observe those things, we're going to find blessings in them. Because God set those things up for Israel for what purposes? really for his glory, for his honor. And isn't that why we're there? And as we read what Jesus had to say about the Sabbath, again in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath is for what? For man. So obviously there's principles around that. Even though it was given to Israel, there's still the principles that affect all of us who are human beings. God has made us to need him. He's made us to rest. Yeah, we are to put our hands to the plow. <laughs> There's a lot of work to get done, but we need a break and we need to find rest. And ultimately, our soul finds that in Christ alone. So the Sabbath is a delight. So how many of you are ready to learn to ride in triumph today? How many are ready? All right, me too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for today. We're thankful for an opportunity to dig into your word again to consider some of these things. Um, I would just ask that you'd help us to be real and humble. We know and we confess that you are much wiser, that your ways are beyond ours. And uh, we just, we want to bring you glory and do things your way. So we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, help us to apply your word in practical ways into our lives. And I do pray, Father, that you'd Allow us to truly find rest in you today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, our need. Let's talk about that for a second. Our great challenge of today, one of the greatest, I think, is raising children. I actually have friends that have purposely uh, chosen not to have kids just because they don't want to bring kids up in the world that it is today. It's a scary place. And in part... Kids are a blessing <laughs> from the Lord. <laughs> They're ble- but I understand their concerns at the same time. Um, so we really move too fast. We're at that 90 mile an hour culture going on around, um, bringing kids into that. That's scary. But there's also a lot of opportunities that we have um, and really obligations to teach our family and um, really make time with family a priority. 
Um, there's so much going on. Uh, sometimes we find the only time that we're together is, hey, when we're on our way maybe to a soccer practice, that's when we get to hang out with the, the kids or this performance. And while we're driving in the car, the kids have their earbuds in, <laughs> listening to something else, and they're not even taking in the family conversation that's going on. Um, so I want to help with that today, and I believe the Lord does too. Last week, we really got to focus on making Sunday the best day of the week. Today, I want to help you learn how to use Sundays to build better families. Uh, some of you guys live alone, but you're going to find this message incredibly helpful as well. And I want to give seven practical things that are going to help every one of you love, um, you know, help the ones that you love or uh, ones maybe that you're not even related to. Uh, but whatever uh, that may look like, primarily we're going to focus on families, but every principle can be applied to whether it's nieces, nephews, grandsons, granddaughters, um, whoever in the next generation. Maybe it's the neighbor kid <laughs> that you've uh, built a relationship with or you get to have influence upon. So what I'd like to do is uh, turn in our Bibles to Proverbs 22, Okay, that's right in the middle of the Bible. Crack it open. You'll hit Psalms or Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is one little verse we're about to read. I really believe it contains an important principle, probably one of the most important principles given in the history of parenting. The proverb was composed by Solomon, who is purported to be the wisest man who has ever lived. You guys know how kerosene is called a fire starter, right? Well, this verse is called the child starter. Let's take a look here. Verse 20 or verse 6 in chapter 22 of Proverbs, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you guys are familiar with that proverb? I think we all are. We're going to unpack it a little bit this morning. So train up a child in the way he should go. So start off children in the way they should go. So if you were to pull out a compass, we got the compass. Hey, here's due north, right? Um, if you grab me by the shoulders, you point me due north, and you say, here you go, go north. I'd probably have a better chance of hitting the North Pole than the South Pole eventually, right? Well, some of you guys are like, whatever, Pastor. <laughs> you can turn around. <laughs> Anyways, most likely, if you're pointing in the right direction, you're going to probably have a better success of arriving there. It's far more likely that you'll end up where you need to be. So in this verse, Solomon is saying that the first push is the most important push. We might not always end up precisely due north or wherever we started, but chances are good we'll end up mostly due north, won't we? Okay, um, Doing the chaplaincy for the county jail, one of the things that I see with these men and women who surrender to Christ, they finally come to a saving faith, acknowledging who God is, who they are. They come to know him. They're saved, eternal life. Their eyes are open. They receive the Holy Spirit. And you know the hardest things for these guys and gals with kids is knowing that their kids don't know. That is their burden. I want my wife. I want my husband. I want my family. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to find eternal life in him too. It's one of the hardest things I have to deal with up in the jail. And it's really hard because some of them have kids that are already grown 
and out of the house. I've blown it. Why didn't I figure this out 30 years ago, 20 years ago? My kids are teens right now. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is listen to me. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to get through with them with the gospel? And that's why it's so important, guys, as we looked at, it's to train up our children. It's something that we need to take serious, that we hand it off to the next generation, that they're going to do the same. Because let me tell you what, people aren't preaching truth today. We've taken the Bible away from our kids. And if we aren't the ones willing to give it to our kids, who's going to? It's on us, moms and dads. So, years ago, Sir Isaac Newton identified what it was called the first law of thermodynamics. Um, he had to say this. Um, he, he said that an object in motion tends to remain in motion with the same direction and speed. I think the law of first push comes from here in Proverbs 22.6. Okay? Get them going in the same direction. Um, you guys ever think how Peyton and Eli Manning wound up as NFL quarterbacks? Wow, two brothers, that never happens. You know, just to make it as a quarterback in the NFL, I mean, that's a, what, one in two billion chance? I don't know what it is. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but their father, Archie, wasn't he an NFL coach? Which way do you think his boys were pushed as kids? Exactly, okay? Um, how did George Clooney end up being an actor? Well, he had an aunt, Rosemary Clooney, who was an actor. What direction do you think she pushed him in? So the direction you start your children determines the destination where they're likely to arrive. So if you can see that, then you're going to understand why the practical number one uh, is the most important of the seven practices that we're going to go through this morning. The first practical advice for successful parenting, grandparenting, Uncleing, auntie, <laughs> discerning leaders is to what? To put God first. Wouldn't you guys agree? Is that not the most important? You guys can jot down Matthew 6.33. It tells us to seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. So we're exhorted by Jesus himself, God Almighty, to what? Seek First, the kingdom of God. And that isn't always a priority today, even within Christians' homes, is it? You can seek a lot of other things in this life. There's a lot of counterfeit things that we think, hey, this is really what our kids need. No, God knows best. And he knows that every single one of us, the thing that's foremost needed is seeking him above all else. So... Um, you know the phrase, first things first. So God wants to be first of all the firsts in your life for your sake and for the sake of those who follow you as well. So parents and grandparents, the best gift that you can give your children or your grandchildren is not to love them first, but to love God first. You see, your children are far more likely to follow the direction you set than the direction that you give. So if you put God first, and your children will be more likely then to do the same. You've heard the expression, an acorn never falls far from the tree. So your little acorns are going to grow up looking a lot like you. That's just the way it is. And just like the expression, monkey see, monkey do, well, your little monkeys are going to look a lot like you. So 
You guys have studied the Ten Commandments. You probably remember the first one, right? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. So, God wants to be first in your life because whatever you put first in your life will have the most influence on your life, and he wants to be the one who influences you most. You guys understand that? That's why we put a priority on church. That's why God said don't forsake the assembling together because of the deceitfulness of sin. That's why you guys have heard me reach out. Hey, come to the men's retreat. Come hang out with us. Why? Because <laughs> it's good to seek the Lord. It's not because we care about numbers. I don't know if you guys know that or not. For you guys who are newer to freedom, we're not into church growth here. Okay? We love to see people get saved. That's awesome. <laughs> but we're not going to do programs to grow a big church. Why? Because church is not about that. The church is about Jesus Christ. It's about seeking him, about putting him first. There will be byproducts of that, obviously. But the point in what we do, above all things, and the number one thing first has to be seeking him. Because if anything else is on the agenda... Does it really ultimately bring God glory then? So, what does it mean to put God first? Well, glad you asked. You see, putting God first means spending time with him, caring for what he cares about, using money the way that he would use it, as if it were his. Putting God first means honoring him. You know, how do we do that? Well, we've been talking about the Sabbath. Do you take that seriously? Is that a way to honor him? How about the way you work, your attitude, your work ethic? Okay, Putting God first means honoring him in how you treat your body, how you eat, how you exercise. I know uh, these are tall orders, and there is grace. Okay, You won't be perfect, but if you're trying to honor God, guess what? Your kids are going to see that, and they're going to imitate that. And when you fail, they're going to see, hey, that's okay, because guess what? I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm imperfect too. You're able to communicate that. My son yesterday, yesterday morning, looked at me, your eyes, like, you know I'm not perfect, right? I'm like, I know, son. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm like, you know your daddy's not perfect either, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's good for our kids to see that reality, okay? But even in our imperfections, they see us still loving Jesus. That's what matters. So you know how an airplane will flight? Um, before you take off, they always give those um, safety talks. You know, hey, if, uh, you know, <clears throat> these air things, what do they call those? Masks? Oxygen, Oxygen masks. You know, <laughs> if, if they fall down, don't they always tell you, you strap it on first before helping anyone else? What they're actually saying is, hey, you better make sure you're getting oxygen before you try to help your children. Because if you're not good, <laughs> you're not going to be any good for them. So, um, your first practice is to put God first. The second one I want you guys to take note of this morning is let your kids see your relationship with God. Well, that's a private thing, Pastor. You know, I have faith, and I don't want to push that on my kids because I want them to figure that out and make their own choices in life. Shame on us. Really? Because there's a father of lies out there that makes things look pretty good, you know? And there's a great message out there today is, hey, you're a good person, 
And because you're good, you're okay. And because you're okay, you're going to go to heaven. Because don't you know God's a God of love? <laughs> he is a God of love, but he's also a just God. Okay? There is a penalty for our sin, our disobedience. Because he did love us, he did die and make a way for us to be forgiven. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father except through him. And if we can't take that stand and tell our kids the truth, where are they going to hear it from? Okay? Because people don't know. I love sharing the gospel. I love talking about Jesus. I do it weekly with people. And normally, on a weekly basis, I've had people say, I've never heard that before. How do you live in a Christian nation never heard the gospel before? But it's happening. Even church-going people their entire life. Well, I thought it was about just doing all this stuff. I thought it was just about giving my money and getting baptized, and I was okay because they said I was okay. I didn't know about this personal relationship with thing with Jesus. I didn't know that there was a repentance that God's calling me to, a life of faith that I'm supposed to walk out. I never knew about that part of it. That's the whole part. <laughs> All this other stuff does nothing. But isn't that what we're taught? As long as we're good and we do this and that, we're going to be okay. No. If that was it, then Jesus died in vain. It would be pointless. So, when Moses, he was preparing to send the Israelites into the promised land, he wanted them to know how to pass on their faith to their descendants, right? So he decided to spell it out for them very carefully. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6 together. I read this last week. The Averills were up here with little Haddon, and we did a baby dedication. We don't baptize babies. The Bible doesn't talk about baptizing babies, so we don't do it. The Bible does talk about being baptized, but when do you baptize? Once you believe. <laughs> believe and be baptized. Okay, that's something God asks us to do. Does baptism save you? No. Jesus Christ saves you. But if you're saved, you're going to, out of obedience in responding to that faith, you're going to go public with your faith, aren't you? You're going to let the world know, hey, I believe this. <laughs> I am a follower of Jesus. So what the Jews would do, well, they were told by God, instructed by God, what to do. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 here. And these words which I command you today, they shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently. So our approach to, to parenting is to be diligent to teach our children these things. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So every part of our day, we should be talking about Jesus. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be on the four lips between your eyes and you will write them on your doorposts of your house or on your gates. So if you go to Israel today, you'll see these little bee boxes on all the door frames um, and they have scripture. They're little scripture boxes. You know what scripture they have in there? This one from Deuteronomy. That's how seriously they take it. Everybody's doorposts. Hey, we got to teach our children. This is what God's calling us to do. And think about that, guys. They take the word literally. I love it. So the passage of scripture became one of the most important in Israel's history. And maybe that's why the Israelites are still here today. Think about that, guys. The Israelites. We read about so many people groups in the Bible. Are they around today? 
Back when Moses wrote, their, <laughs> wrote this, there were Canaanites. Have you guys ever met a Canaanite? No. There were Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Amalekites, and Mosquito Bites. You see, <laughs> today, Israel's the only one in Mosquito Bites, obviously, but <laughs> all the other ones, where are they? They taught their children. They taught their children. And just even seeing Israel back in the land today, they were reestablished in 1948. There's so much prophecy that God said that that would happen. And why has it happened? Because even though they were dispersed as a people group for 2,000 years, there's never been a people group that made it more than three generations that came back together. But God promised it would happen 2,000 years later. Here's Israel again back in their homeland. He's faithful to his word, guys. And a part of it, I believe, is because they took the word seriously. They taught their descendants. They taught their children. So the Israelites talked about their faith with their kids. So parents, let their kids in. Let, let them in on your relationship with God. Generation after generation um, on, it was very important. You guys see more than 3,500 years, the Israelites are still talking about their faith in Jehovah. Sonny and I have made a conscious effort to you know, talk about our relationship with the Lord as a part of our daily lives. During dinner, as often as possible, as our kids get older, it's easier to ask them questions about what they're personally learning at school or at Sunday school, what they're reading, having those conversations together, uh, being able to pray for them and actually pray for each other as a family. Uh, it's, it's just part of our lives. So by talking about God whenever and wherever, it's easy to communicate my relationship with them because it's already part of the conversation. It's something very natural and just part of our lives. So of course, there are many ways of accomplishing the same thing, but the point is to let your children see your relationship with God and it's going to rub off on them. That's just how it works out. So when you have those opportunities, be real. Be honest. Um, let them see that. I know some of you guys have your quiet time before the kids get up because it's the only time it's quiet in the house <laughs> and stuff. But that part of that devotional life is good for them to see. Like I purposely don't put my Bible away a lot of times. Not that they have to see Daddy reading it, but hey, I know dad was up early, and there's his Bible again. Just, hey, that's a part of his life. It's a regular part of his life. And then talk about those things. So in our culture, one of the most scariest guarded secrets is how much money people make. That's just something people don't talk about. Uh, Jesus told us where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. Okay, And that's something we need to really take seriously. So if you're going to start your children off right. It will help them to see that your heart um, and your budget all line up. So the third practice in raising your health or healthy children is to show them how you allocate and you spend money in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way. So the only real way to do this is number three. Write this down. Let your kids see how you're spending. Let your kids see it. Okay? I work with a lot of young people. And one of the things that we're asked um, often, like Kim just started a study with the gals up in the jail, what's it on? It's on budgeting. <laughs> it's 
So many people get in trouble because they've never learned a healthy way to budget their money. And as Christians, God has laid out some things for us. He's promised to take care of us, but he's also given us some guidelines um, in that. And it's one of those things we need to teach. So if Jesus' second most famous sermon, he said, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Right? So Luke 6, 40. So about 17 or 18 years old, when your kids are fully trained, chances are they're going to look a lot like you. Hopefully my kids get to keep their hair. Um, so teach them your best skills, best practices, and the best chance for learning how to give, how to save, how to spend, how to invest. Um, it's really in seeing how you give, save, spend, and invest. And, uh, and parents, the truth is we are incredibly um, affluent in our society today, unlike any other time in world history. We're filthy rich. Uh, if you don't believe me, I've asked you guys to do this before, but check out the globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. If you make $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the most affluent people upon the planet. We are stinking rich, guys. So, what do we do with that? Well, Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given, much is required. Are we going to teach our kids what that actually looks like? Are we going to teach them to appreciate the blessings that we do have? Because let me tell you what, I hear a lot of kids complaining. I don't have. I want this. I want that. Why can't I? Everyone else has it. You know, they take the blessings that we've been given for granted. So we need to teach our kids those things. So your children have been given much, so much will be required of them. And one of the most important skills that you can pass on to your kids is how to handle money. So one of the most important pieces of wise money management is generosity. So how much you give not only um, indicates the size of your heart, but also develops the size of your heart. Does that make sense? Yesterday we were at uh, Heroes of the Community. James was uh, there with me, and we were uh, taking in some food for the food pantry, and we were raising awareness about the Freedom Center Food Pantry, and a uh, good opportunity to do that. But the booth right next to us was Bethsaida Thrift Stores, um, and the gal that was running it yesterday morning is the gal who oversees uh, the volunteering for that. And we just got talking, because overseeing the food pantry and the uh, jail ministry and doing church outreaches and different things, there are servants that are needed to make anything work and go. And we were just talking about how hard it is to get people to volunteer. And they're struggling really hard. They have 18 stores, I think, and they, they're scared because they don't know if they're going to be able to keep doing what they have been doing for a long time because of the lack of of help and we began to talk about how that volunteer pool is really the elderly generation they grew up understanding what it meant to give to serve to be a part of your community and in the younger generations we're just not seeing it it's not there and people are getting tapped <laughs> hard that, hey, what are we going to do? And we often wonder sometimes with the food pantry, like, hey, we have a lot of volunteers, but every week there's like, are we going to have enough this week to pull it off? 
You know, I look at our community and just how many people there are. We should have, be turning people away like, sorry, we're good tonight. <laughs> but it's actually on the other side on a regular basis. So one of the most important pieces that we need to do, uh, speaking about money-wise management, is teaching generosity. We need, people just don't do that. They need to be taught that. So how much you give not only indicates the size of your heart, but it's going to really develop the size of your heart. Um, Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring all tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me and know this, says the Lord of hosts. I will not open for you, or will I not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So this is important to God. Okay, The only time that he gives a command and permission to test him in all the Bible is to test him in this. It's the only one that you're going to find in scriptures. So God promises that when you faithfully bring your tithe, okay, that he's going to bless. Well, pastor, we're in the new covenant. We're not under the law anymore. Well, here's my take on tithing, guys. We're not under the law. What you give is between you and God. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a generous heart. Okay? If we're like our dad, he's a giver by nature. Personally, I think Christians should give more than 10%. I think it's a great place to start and begin. But again, what is God calling us to? That's between you and him. We don't pass a basket here. Okay? I don't know what you guys make. I'm not going to sit down with you while you make $50,000. That means you need to give five grand to the church. That's not how we work. <laughs> That's between you and God. But let me tell you what, if you're not doing it, your kids are not going to do it. If this generation doesn't do it, the next generation's not going to do it. That's just part of what it is. There's 230 churches in the valley, and one thing they all have in common is they want to do more, but they can't because there's not enough money. It's sad. I know a pastor friend, I won't mention which church and who it is, it's a church that's smaller than ours, but the church has been around for over 100 years, and they're sitting on millions of dollars they have two people on staff. And all that old money came from generations before that were given to keep the church going. And this pastor's struggling because the church is just dying and they don't know what to do. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at all these other churches that are out doing, <laughs> you know. And this is how I've just been encouraging him. Stop worrying about trying to build the church. <laughs> Saving the money. Okay, that old mindset. Use it for kingdom business. Go, you know. <laughs> Be seeking the Lord on that. Because that's one of those things. So much of the today in the church, it's all about building the church. We need your money so we can grow this building. <laughs> so we can fit more people. That's between, you know, I don't know. You guys know what I think. I've talked about that before. The point is, guys, why does God have us give? Because he cares about all people. He cares about the gospel going forth into all nations. Okay? That's the job of the church. We're to go preach. It's not about building something bigger and great. No, it's about going and proclaiming the good news. Okay? And it would be wonderful. Because let me tell you what, money provides need for people. That's all it does. It gives platform because it's ministers that minister to people. Do you guys understand that? It's not a building that ministers. I mean, if we just came here and sat this morning, what would be happening? 
How boring. <laughs> it takes people to minister to people. Uh, for you guys who are newer, um, heart that I think God's given me personally, but really the church, is we care about young people. A big reason why we're in Kukana, Wisconsin, is we want to reach the youth of this community. Okay, there's a lot of hopelessness. Just last Thursday, they had a high-risk um, Teens of the Valley. They had a conference where the kids got out. A ton from Kukana went. was for the whole valley. But there's just a lot of hopelessness and hurt here with our young people. And how can we engage? I would love for our church to be able to provide to have a youth pastor. Wouldn't it be cool just to have somebody that we said, hey, <laughs> your job just to love these kids of this community full-time. You love them. The kids at our church, you pray for them, you love on them. Your job, just love on young adults. They need the hope of Jesus. Go preach. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just to have somebody freed up to do that. Yeah, I think that would be great. But guess what? That takes time because it's hard when you have somebody that has to work full time <laughs> and then try to do that. If they could just give all their efforts to that, it would just be awesome. Anyways, the point here being made is we need to teach our kids there's a place for generosity and that can look a lot of different ways um, so god promises that when you faithfully bring um, your offerings to the lord that he's going to open up the floodgates of heaven and he's going to pour out so much blessing on you that you're not going to have room to store it and i don't know if you guys feel that way but i feel filthy rich this last we've been doing it for a month and a half but we're trying to downsize things in our home. We have so much stuff. And we're trying to teach our kids, you don't need all this stuff. So once a day, we're each grabbing one thing and we're trying to, hey, where would this go that could actually be helpful or somebody would be blessed by this? And we're trying to do that as a family. And let me tell you what, we've been doing it for a while and it doesn't even feel like we've made a dent in all the stuff we have. It's ridiculous, guys. Um, but that's something that you need to teach your kids, you know. And what do my kids have? Toys, <laughs> I mean, you know. And we don't buy them toys. Like honestly, I don't know where they come from, you know. <laughs> Birthday parties, grandparents, just all this stuff shows up. But the point is, we need to show how to be generous. So every time we turn on is, you know, the TV ads pop up, and what is it saying? Buy me, want me, taste me, wear me. You know, you need a pair of those. That's our society. Everything's marketed, driven. So the pressure to spend uh, is enormous. So every year or two, uh, walk your kids through your budget. Let them see how things look. I suggested to Sonny this last week, we're going to, um, at one point, when we have enough, <laughs> take a month of my salary, go to the bank and say, hey, I want $1 bills of what I make this month. And then we're going to take it and we're going to put it all out and my kids are going to trip. Whoa, look at all that. We're so rich. Well, not really, but <laughs> to them, it's going to be like, that's a lot of cash. But we're going to walk them through our budget. Hey, this is how much it is for us to pay our mortgage every month. And then there's insurances and then there's taxes. And we like to do this. And we give to our missionaries here and our church and we want to do this and this is how much is that is going to cost us and you guys like to eat that and this is how much our food costs it's going to be very eye-opening for them to be able to see it because explaining a budget to them right now my guys are little bitties they're not going to get it but them seeing practically and where is the priority 
most important, guys, to let them see. Maybe this is the little bit we have left over. What do we do with it? Right now, my son Phineas has a heart for the poor. He's talking about the poor a lot. I want to nurture that because I don't know how long that's going to last. I'm like, catch it when you can, okay? So I encourage you guys, speak about it. Be practical with them. Show them what your priorities are and how you spend and how you might cut in one area to make those other things happen. So practice. Uh, number four that I want to lay out for us this morning is let your children tithe. Again, we just saw the blessing given in Malachi 3.10. But one of the most healthy budgets, you guys probably have heard this before, but the 10-10-80. You guys ever hear that? You give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on 80%. Teach your kids how that looks. You know, If you have little ones, start giving them allowance. You know, give them a dollar a week, but give them change. Make sure there's two dimes in there so they can have their little giving envelope, put a dime in there, their little saving envelope, you know, and then what to spend in the rest. Begin to teach them those principles. Because man, if it becomes a habit and you just do it, it's going to be a lifelong thing. But if they're not learning this until they're out of the home one day, it's going to be too late. And let me tell you what, again, we're filthy rich. You know, to do these things, it should just be a part. Even when things are tight. Have you guys ever noticed it seems like, well, it's actually a fact. The more people make, the less they give. That's actually a fact. So what do we do with that? Um, yeah, teach our kids. Because of our affluence, generosity is one of the biggest challenges in our societies. Studies actually show that the more Americans earn, the less giving there is. And we see that across the board today. Um, so teach your children to tithe. Teach them to make it easy. The 10, 10, 80 or whatever plan that you come up with. And then teach them how to celebrate the tithe. Okay? I love that. Some of your kids do walk in with their own little tithes and you can see that they're excited about giving to the Lord. You know? And it should be an excited thing because again, God w wants what? A cheerful giver. If your heart's anything given, don't give. <laughs> okay? God wants your heart to be right in it. So... That brings us to the fifth principle. Serve at church together. Write that one down. Serve at church together. This is where uh, the Sunday part of child rearing comes into your practice. A few years ago, a guy by the name of Eric Sw Swanson of the Leadership Network, he published a study about children who grew up in church and now are actually loving uh, the Lord and serving the Lord as adults. Leadership Network study found that these children experienced two things in their family's origin. Okay? Um, according to Swanson, children whose parents served at church and found ways for their children to serve at church were much more likely to grow up to love God than children who didn't. So fortunately, at our church, uh, we have several ways adults and children can serve together. Okay? Uh, once a child reaches 12, they can start serving, being helpers with our teachers, with younger kids that are here. Okay, I think it'd be cool. Brian and Marnie do most of our greeting. I think it'd be cool to have some of the kids there helping out, handing out bullets. I mean, there's just little bitty things uh, that the kids can do to engage um, and really teach your kids. You can do it together as a family. Okay, maybe you're willing to teach or to help downstairs. Maybe once a month, do it with your kids. Hey, guys, we as a family are going to serve this week. 
so kids can serve with parents. We have work days, there's lawn, there's snow, there's cleaning to do. There's always something to do. Just bring them with. Teach them how to do those things. Decades ago, when most families owned farms, children grew up with a significant responsibility of chores. Any of you guys grow up on a farm? You know what I'm talking about then, right? He's <laughs> like, oh, all these chores, you know? Five o'clock, that's sleeping in, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but it was a way that they were raised and they were able to contribute to the family. And the same thing is true in church. If you get kids serving in church, they're going to take ownership to it, okay? They're going to feel like they're able to contribute. And that's really a healthy thing for the identity of everyone in families. So one great place... Family members can serve together. Uh, it's also cross-cultural uh, mission trips, okay? And that really leads us to the sixth um, practice here. Send or take a cross-cultural mission trip. How many of you guys have been on a mission trip before overseas? Okay, about a third of you guys. So that means we got some work to do. So the second thing in the Leadership Network study show that uh, what helped kids grow up to love God was going on a missions trip. So an amazing thing happens when American kids go on missions trips. They discover uh, how great their lives are here stateside in America. We are blessed. Uh, most kids that have spent time in Mexico, Haiti, Honduras, uh, less affluent countries, they come home very thankful. And they're willing to work with their parents, change some priorities. Our youth are talking about going down to Rancho Oasis for youth down in Haiti next summer. That's huge. Okay, It makes a difference. I was looking through some, um, I'm trying to go through 18,000 pictures. I don't know if you guys have the same problem I have. I have all these pictures, but I'm trying to actually organize them and clean them. And I'm thinking, well, if I give 10, 15 minutes a day, I might have it done in a few years from now. So, <laughs> But going through them, I was just so blessed because I've been able to do many uh, mission trips through the years with young people, and it's so cool. I found some, I went down to Haiti uh, many years ago. Uh, Levi Chaya, a lot of you guys know him. He's the dean of men now, now at a Calvary Chapel Bible College. He was doing youth ministry here a year ago and stuff. He's 12 years old, like little bitty guy in this picture down in Haiti with us. And then we had little Deanna who did worship up here last week. She was on that trip with us down there. And they're just little bitty kids. But if you ask either of them the impact that trip had on their life, they both have neat things to share in just how God captured their heart. You know, my heart for evangelism got hooked when I went to Jamaica for the first time. You know, ooh, Jamaica, fun, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place, but if you actually go inward in the island, it's third world. There's so many people that need the hope of Jesus Christ. You know, and there's just something about experiencing that will change your mindset on a lot of what you do. So um, give them that opportunity. Also, let's wrap things up here. The last thing, last practice is help your children find godly mentors. So parents, what you do when your children don't want to listen to you anymore? What do you do? Uh, Mark Twain said this. He gave a bit of advice about raising teenagers. He said, when your child turns 13, you should stick them in a barrel and feed them through the knot hole. And then he said, when they turn 16, cover up the knot hole. <laughs> it's probably not the greatest parenting advice, but <laughs> somewhere between the ages of about 11 and 14, guys, um, kids, they become cool. 
right? Mom and dad, you don't know what you're talking about. We got it all figured out. Um, and that's a great opportunity, you know, to allow other brothers and sisters to speak into their life. I did youth ministry for 13 years, and there was just a really neat season in life where God brought a lot of young adults, okay, early 20s, late teens, in love with Jesus, and we had a youth ministry going on. And these kids, we weren't much older than them, but we were just loving each other, loving Jesus, diligently studying the scriptures, and we were just trying to share with these youth kids, and they caught on fire. And they wanted to hang out and just be like us. And we weren't doing anything special. We were just being real. But that is so unique when that can happen because a lot of times we'd have parents come, thank you so much for all you're doing. It's just like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. What we're doing, what we're doing is we're just loving the Lord and loving these kids and we're seeing people get saved. This is awesome. Um, and that's something I'd encourage you guys to pray for because there are going to be generational gap things. We've been praying for older saints to come to the Freedom Fellowship for years. God has really answered that prayer. There was a season where we had no kids and we had people who wanted to do children's ministry. We prayed and then boom, all these kids out of nowhere came. You know? So it's a beautiful thing that we have these different generational things. And there is a little bit of gaps in there. You know, We have some awesome youth leaders for our Rise Youth Group. Okay, We thank God for them. But let me tell you what, we need more people to come in and disciple and to mentor. Um, so if you're young, Maybe you don't tie it up with kids yet. Pray about becoming a part of that, you know, discipling our younger brothers and sisters. Um, it's good. So speaking of kids, I promised the Sunday school teachers downstairs that I would wrap up promptly, um, and we're starting to get long. So I'm going to jump ahead here. Um, yeah. I guess one of the things, guys, for you who do have younger children at home, just be real with your kids. Talk about what life looks like now, what it's going to look like in the future. Some of you guys are empty nesters already or are going to be soon. What does that look like? You're still a parent. You guys know that you never stop being a parent? You know? If your kids aren't at home, make a point to call them today. Just let them know that you love them. <laughs> you know? But whatever opportunities, and that's one thing I think Sundays really lend to, is really discuss. Today, talk with your kids about what you learned at church, what they learned at church. With my kids, they're little yet, but I'm already talking with Uriah about what IT and media stuff looks like. I talk with them about, hey, you guys should learn some instruments, and they're starting because it's awesome to worship God, and it's awesome to be able to learn how to play a guitar or something because then you can just bust out and you know, random worship and that can be anywhere you go. Teaching them those things, okay? Giving them opportunities. One thing that we really want to do here at Freedom Fellowship is to give place for the next generation to use their gifts, to grow in their gifts. So talk about it. Be real. Consider those things. 